Welcome to the Urban Grace Weekly Podcast. Urban Grace is an inclusive ecumenical church in the heart of downtown Tacoma, Washington, that seeks to be a spiritual home for folks from all sorts of backgrounds. We've been committed to downtown Tacoma since 1883. And today, that looks like a vibrant worshiping community located in a bustling, historic church that functions like a community center for about 20 different arts organizations, Christian ministries, and social service organizations that use our building throughout the week. This podcast is an audio recording of our weekly sermons. You may notice that I occasionally pause for laughter that seems out of context, That's likely because our PowerPoint is showing, I don't know, the head of Jesus photoshopped onto the body of Steven Seagal or some equally cheesy joke that has to be experienced in person, which honestly is just a bad segue to say, hey, come check us out Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. at the corner of 9th and Market. And of course, there are more details at urbangrace.org. Lastly, we had some delay putting sermons online uh, throughout the fall, so this spring we'll be mixing in some sermons that never made it online in addition to our weekly podcast. Thanks, and enjoy. Our scripture today comes from 2 Timothy three fourteen through 17 But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have known the sacred writings that are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. Will you please pray with me? Loving and gracious God, we give you thanks for your presence in our lives and in the whole world for your spirit that surrounds us and envelops us. And we pray that we may feel and experience that spirit this morning and that we may hear your word for us. Amen. Well, I mean, I think I just want to start by saying it's great to be here. Uh, Last week I was on vacation hanging out with my nieces and nephews, uh, and then recovering from hanging out with my nieces and nephews. Like, six little kids in the same house is a lot. Um, And and I was only gone a week, but it it sort of felt like longer because of the snowstorm, and, well, it's just good to be back. And, you know, I actually didn't get in until last night, around dinner time. I don't, like really have time to write a sermon, uh, which is only half true, because I, I wrote a sermon. I'm about to preach it. But I didn't have time to do the sort of historic and cultural research I usually do when engaging a text. Uh, so I'm going to do something a little bit different this morning. I simply want to answer the question, how do we read the Bible? Seriously, how do we read the Bible? When we read the words and the stories, what are we supposed to do with them? Bumper stickers tell us, you know, like, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. It doesn't actually settle it. Not 
for most of us. I mean, I think a lot of us, at one point or another, or many points, thought, yeah, I'm just going to pretend that verse right there doesn't exist. Right? Because the Bible has, has verses about sexuality, about slavery, about women, about divorce, that most of us would probably prefer to ignore. And, and this is a big deal, because uh, when there are parts of the Bible that we just really don't know what to do with, that can alienate us from God. Like, I've, I've totally known folks that have left the church because they have found either verses or sections of the Bible and thought, yeah, if I need to obey that, then I'm out. And the first thing that I want to say to y'all, if any of you feel that way, if you really dislike the Bible sometimes, that's okay. You got set up. I mean, we all did. And maybe I should say that that I got set up. Maybe I should just speak for myself. Because my church growing up pretty much told me that I needed to, to read the Bible and do what the Bible said. I, I was told it is really important to follow and obey the Bible. Uh, except for when the Bible was wrong. Then you don't have to obey the Bible. And they, of course, didn't say it quite like that. But from ages, I think, 5 to 22... Uh, the pastors of the churches that my family attended were women. They were brilliant pastors who taught me to love the Bible, including the verses that said that women shouldn't speak in church. And, you know, like in church, I was told, well, there there are lots of good reasons why that verse doesn't apply to today. And, And that sort of worked fine for me as long as I had, like, a pastor or a church leader or someone to tell me which parts of the Bible I could sort of opt out of. But as I got older, this didn't sit very well with me. It made me nervous. So when I was 21 with all the, uh, I was going to say arrogance, I don't know, the, uh, the zeal of a 21-year-old, I decided I would figure it out. Uh, and I, have, of course, had a plan I, I decided I was just going to sit down and read the, the New Testament, sort of cover to cover, um, and so I could understand it as a whole, not as just like verses in particular that I had been pointed to by my pastor. And, and I did this in about three weeks. And I'll, I'll be honest, that going in, I was pretty nervous because I, I was afraid what I was going to find. Because, again, I believed I was supposed to do what the Bible said. And I knew there were going to be all these passages about how women shouldn't be leaders. And I believed that was wrong. And I just, I felt this tension building. I felt this collision coming. And as it turns out, I was right to be afraid. There were numerous passages in the Bible about women not being leaders. But it got worse. The New Testament tells us that uh, women should wear headscarves in church. That was one that totally jumped out at me. I was like, oh, almost every time it says that they shouldn't talk, it says women should wear headscarves. And it said very clearly that no one should wear gold. And that men should have short hair. 
I had this haircut for like a decade. And another one that I just couldn't get on board with was that no one should remarry after divorce. And those, those were tough. But then I encountered one verse that totally like blew up my view of the Bible. It happens to be uh, in only a few verses before the scripture we read today. And it's from 1 Timothy 2, where it says that women's salvation came through or comes through childbearing. That's, that's a real verse. If, uh, actually, women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. Uh, what was I supposed to do with that? Like, how's I supposed to read the Bible when this seemed to conflict with everything I understood about God and salvation? And it also felt like I didn't have an option. As I actually studied the Bible, it became really clear that following the Bible literally would be impossible. Like, even if I say, like, I cut my hair, I stole my wife's wedding ring, and uh, joined a, a Bible-believing church, that wouldn't really work because I'd read too much of the Bible and found too many verses that conflicted with one another. Even if I was willing to obey some of the verses I didn't like, there were other passages and verses that seemed to contradict those. In short, this is sort of where I'm going with this, is that I knew I was going to have to make choices of what to obey and what to ignore, maybe? At at least that's what I thought. Because I I got set up. Or, Or maybe not set up. But now I can see that I wasn't taught to take the Bible very seriously. In some ways, I think I was taught as a kid and as a high schooler to sort of fundamentally misunderstand what the Bible is. At different times, I've been taught different things. I'm going to sort of walk through uh, three or four of the ways that I've been taught to understand what the Bible is. The first one was like a statement of what we need to believe, like a creed. Uh, Bible tells us what to believe. I heard that a bit. And then um, some other folks told me that it was more like a set of teachings, about how to live our lives, like filled with rules and laws, like an instruction manual. I I heard plenty of folks tell me that uh, the Bible's really like a formula for how one is saved. And, And often this isn't, these weren't totally spelled out, but it became clear in learning this is what folks understood the Bible to be. And this is uh, the most with this last one, because no one ever admits it, but often the Bible is treated like a weapon, something to argue with, to prove that our point, our ideas, our beliefs are right, and someone else's are wrong. So often comes out in the sort of like, well, then what do you do about this verse? Big flex. But the Bible is not a creed. It's not a set of teachings or a formula or a list of laws. The Bible is a story. God chose to give us a story, narrative. And there's good reason. Like, just historically, when societies want to 
pass on their most important truth, what they really deeply believe, they put that truth in stories. Like when we look back at the most important ancient writings, we find stories like the Odyssey or Beowulf or Gilgamesh. And since that time, we've continued to tell stories. And stories have become a huge part of our culture. Like, like think how we revere Shakespeare or Tolstoy or J.K. Rowling or George Lucas, who wrote Star Wars. Like, we are enthralled with stories. And and there's reason, because stories connect with us. They invite us to identify with the characters and sort of live out, to imagine what it's like to, to live out the truth that these characters represent and their struggles and their challenges. And, you know, stories are such a good way to communicate. That's what Jesus did. In, in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus gives five sermons, and he tells 37 stories. And and really, if we we scale out, the whole Bible itself, from Genesis to Revelation, is, is just sort of this big, epic story of God and us. The Bible is a book of stories. But when we turn the Bible into something else, like a creed or a formula or a, a set of rules, we, we kind of imply that, that God gave us the wrong kind of book. All those ways of reading the Bible are sort of like telling God, nice try with that story thing, but we went ahead and fixed it for you. When, when I sat down to read the Bible, I did so with a lot of fear. Because, I mean, at my root, I think I thought, I'm not taking the Bible seriously enough. Because I know there are these verses that I'm not, not living out. But, uh, but because I wasn't obeying it. But as it turns out, I needed to take the Bible more seriously. I needed to let the biblical story continue to be a story, which then, of course, is the big question. Like, how in the world do we do that? How do we engage a story and let it shape our lives without turning it into a set of rules or a formula? And, and to get at that, I want to share an analogy from uh, a writer named N.T. Wright, or sometimes he goes by Tom Wright. Uh, he's English. He's a he would identify as an English evangelical. And he was the first person that I, I encountered who suggested that the problem with evangelicals was that he would say, we don't take the Bible seriously enough because we don't uh, engage it as a story. And then he sort of presented a solution of how to do that. And he began that by asking what we would do if we found an ancient story. Like, what would we do if we found a play that was written by Shakespeare? And and it was a great work. Like, maybe the greatest play Shakespeare ever wrote. But we only had four of the five acts. The last act was missing. What would we do if we had four acts of the best play? Would we just refuse to put it on stage? No. It was written to be on stage. 
People would, would want to, to watch it be played, so we wouldn't throw it away just because it was unfinished. Or I, I suppose we could, we could take this story and change it from a story into a set of rules that would determine that last final fifth act. Like we'd notice that in the, in the first act, the main character never ate meat. And in the third act, the, the mistress wore her hair down, so the rule for the final act is that no one can eat meat and everyone has to wear their hair down. But again, that would be ridiculous. Because stories, stories are dynamic. They grow and expand. Or, I guess, another way, another possible solution is that we could just sort of, like, play the first three acts and then do the fourth act twice. But, again, that'd make a terrible story. These are generally bad ways to engage a story. What would actually make more sense is if we, we got some of, like, the best Shakespearean actors in the world and we asked them to just dedicate themselves to this story to study the script like they, you know, never studied a script before, so that they knew every character like they knew themselves. Then we'd have them get on stage and perform the first four acts just as they're written. And when we got to the fifth act, those characters would stay, or those actors would stay in character and improvise with ways that would be consistent with the character and with the larger story. Like, that's how we would engage a story, by, by entering into it and living it out as our own. And that is sort of where I'm going with this. What I want to suggest, that's how we engage the story of God and us. Like, we're in the fifth act. Because we have this brilliant story. And it's more than just a story. It's God's revelation. It's salvation and liberation and hope. And it comes in the form of a story that's unfinished. And I believe a big part of the mission of the church is to keep writing that story. And to do it well, we have to get in character. We have to... like read the Bible, and take it really seriously and study what's, what's going on in a book, or if it is a book, or if it's a letter, and who wrote it, and why they wrote it. We need to study history and culture so we can like, reflect on, well, how did God act in ancient Near East culture, and how does that same spirit encourage us and guide us to act in our culture today? We have to examine how our church is consistent with the New Testament church. And, and so to, I'm going to just like take that idea and plug it back into uh, the, the issue of women and gender roles in church, because that's sort of where I started. And for me personally, that was, uh, that was sort of the, the big point of tension that needed to be resolved when I was young. And, and so what I think we would do is is getting character by studying patriarchy and how women were treated in the ancient Near East. Then we compare that to how Jesus treated women as real whole people, even when it meant breaking Old Testament law. We, we look at Paul and see how Paul is really contextual. 
So he never treats, like, he doesn't, like, essentialize women and just be like, oh, this is how you treat a woman. He looks at different contexts and communities and doesn't treat each one the same as the other. And and we'd, of course, want to read Acts and see how the church was sort of constantly broadening and shifting its identity to welcome marginalized groups. And among those leaders of that church were a bunch of women. And then, I think, so that's sort of the looking at the Bible piece, and then looking today at how we set double standards for women. We take them less seriously, limit their roles and options. We'd want to reckon with the ways that we normalize discrimination and violence against women. And then we'd probably come to the question of how Jesus would challenge us to do better. Like how women are leading us right now, and that's how we'd sort of draw our ethic. And that is, that's so much different than just saying like, women says, or the Bible says that women can't have short hair. So start growing out your hair. It's, this is a way of reading scripture that's, that, that believes that God's story is dynamic and resilient and still growing and shaping us. But I will, I'm not trying to just like pull a fast one here because I can admit there's some loss. I mean, I think when I first sort of arrived at this, I was like, that is awesome and terrifying. Because it meant giving up control of, of what the Bible means. It meant losing the power of saying, I, I know the right way to interpret this text or this scripture. It, it also means that we really need to trust the Spirit. And, and honestly, I think we need community who can help us and give us insight and challenge us. Uh, we We need community that shares how the story of the Bible shapes their lives. And that's, I mean, that is actually, I do this every week. I meet with a a group of pastors, and we read texts together, and we share our knowledge and experience. And, like, that's a, a place where I can, you know, someone can come at me if I go off the rails and be like, no, 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 that's, yeah, that's not in character. Because you need community. And, and I'm, I'm about to close here, but as I do, I want to share just one like, little last thought on this. Uh, reading scripture as a, as a dynamic story, it's, it's not a liberal idea. <laughs> I don't know if this is good news or bad, but it's not like a, a new cool idea that someone thought of in the last 20 years. This way of reading scripture is ancient. It's how the, the Jewish community often read scripture, Hebrew scriptures in community, and they would imagine together how God was calling them into new ways. This is how the, the Gospel of Matthew interprets books like Hosea and Isaiah. It's how the, the early church understood themselves uh, like in relation to Old Testament law, rather than just sort of following it blindly, saying, like, how do I stay in character with this story and the witness and life of Jesus? 
And it's actually, this was common in the early church among folks like Irenaeus and Origen and Augustine. And, and those were all like from, I don't know, 150 AD to 450. Like our early, sometimes we call them church fathers, church mothers. Um, and one of my favorites is Origen of Alexandria. He, he thought that like when you sit down to read the Bible, you should presume that it is historical and narrative and factual. But then when he saw these things that didn't make sense, like the contradictions and he, the imperfections, he got excited. He said, they aren't imperfections, they're perfections. Because they, they drive us to study scripture together. And, and he thought that they also meant that we would come up with allegorical or metaphorical or mystical interpretations that would, that would shape our soul. And this type of reading is actually, was much more common in the early church than it is today. And I know this is, it's tough. Reading the Bible can be difficult, and, and I know it can be discouraging, and it can be boring, I'll, I'll admit it. But I think the point of, of what I'm sharing today is just to remind you that the Bible is awesome. Like, it's fascinating. It's, I, I totally think it's like the most interesting book in the world. It's this big, epic story that invites us to, to connect with and to live out. It, it's, uh, it's like, uh, it's, it's a better story than Harry Potter, I just said it, um, or the Chronicles of Narnia. It's this huge story, but instead of just being a book we read, it's like we actually get to visit Narnia, or that owl comes and drops a letter on our desk, inviting us to enter into the story. All we have to do is say, yes, I want to be a part of this story. Amen.